Peter Apple, and this is the Just Baseball Show. It's Thursday, July 14th, but really this is the Arm Layton Show today because I am so excited for this episode. I made a joke earlier. I really am a prostitute for mock drafts. I will sell my body for more mock drafts. This time of year fires me up. We're going to be talking mock drafts today because RM just released Mock Draft 3.0 along with our writer Ryan Miller on JustBaseball.com as well as go over the top 10 prospects in the futures game. Top five hitters, top five pitchers. I'm just going to unpack your prospect brain arm. So get ready. But before we talk about all that, the big news in baseball today, Charlie Montoyo, the manager of the Blue Jays, was relieved of duties. And Rob Schneider is, oh wait, is Rob Schneider? Did I, is that the actor? Rob Schneider's an actor. Rob Schneider is the actor. <laughs> who Who is now the new interim manager of the Blue Bro, Jays? Ryan Schneider. Ryan Schneider. Ryan Schneider. That actually is so funny. That's because I went so real, real quick. I went to the World Series in 2008, and um, and sitting next to me was Rob Schneider. So Rob Schneider actually is a baseball fan, and if Rob Schneider is for whatever reason listening to this podcast, he must have been like, "Oh shit, I'm the manager." I was just thinking too, Rob Schneider and the bench warmers. One of the funniest moments in I think movie history was when they point over to the dugout and try to get Howie in the game. And it's like, what about yeah. the dude eating sunscreen? And he's just Bang! like in his mouth. That is the funniest. One of the funniest moments had me dying laughing initially. Underrated movie. Underrated but movie. we're not talking about Rob Schneider. We're talking about Ryan Schneider, the new manager for the Blue Jays, because Charlie Montoyo, after going two and eight in the last 10 games, has finally been relieved after a couple of years now with the Blue Jays since 2018. And I think the thing with Charlie Montoyo is, of course, I mean, we don't watch every single Blue Jays game, but as a fan of a team in that division, I've seen some of his decision making. And at times I'm sitting on my couch thinking, nice move, Charlie. I mean, (laughs) the bullpen decisions seem to be the biggest problem, at least when you scour the Internet and you look at the reactions from Blue Jays fans. The bullpen decisions seem to be the big thing. But overall, he just... This team is so incredibly talented and he just wasn't able to get the most out of his team. But I still harp on the fact that how much are these guys truly managing? That's my thing there, too. We've seen some managers now get pulled. I mean, Joe Madden was fired from the Angels. How have the Angels done since then? But then again, Joe Girardi got pulled from the Philadelphia Phillies. And now the Phillies are doing much better. So it's tough to gauge. But maybe this will be the jumpstart that the Blue Jays need now with a fresh new face. What's your take on the whole situation? It's, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with all of that. But like, what's crazy about this situation, though, is you talk about their two and eight. And of course, they've been scuffling, but they're still, as Jeff Passan pointed out on Twitter, they're still in a playoff spot right now. Like, I, you rarely see that. So that leads me to believe that there's something going on behind closed doors. He must have lost this team. And I think that's something that Passan also mentioned in his tweet was that uh, there's some things, you know, going on in the clubhouse on top of, close game decisions, 
that kind of resulted in him kind of losing the team. That to me is the only way you could justify firing your manager, no matter how bad the stretch is, they're in a playoff position right now. Like it must be bad in there. And and I think Montoya must've lost the team, but I got to say Ross Atkins kind of left him with a vulnerable situation here. And I mean, how much of it is Ross Atkins trying to save face? I wonder if he's next, if this team continues to struggle, but if he lost the ball club, it's a lot of young players. It's also some talented guys as well that have been around for a while, that combination of it, it's hard to succeed that way. So I, I I'm very curious to see how things change, but I'm guessing that there was some inner turmoil there. That's the only way I could really justify it. And we're really going to talk about the minor leagues. We're going to talk about prospects, all the guys in college baseball, high school baseball. So I want to ask this question about the blue Jays because one of their top prospects now, Gabriel Moreno has at least been floated around as a possible trade guy, of course. But at the end of the day, he's one of the best prospects in baseball and he seems untouchable. But what this makes me think is will the blue Jays be desperate enough to package Gabriel Moreno, possibly in a deal. It would have to be for a Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas plus, but with Alejandro Kirk starting in the all-star game and as really been the best catcher in baseball. I don't think that's too much to say right that he's the best catcher in baseball this year. Do you think, and also Alejandro Kirk's not a 30 year old journeyman who's having this great start to the season. He's another one of their top prospects too. Do you think that the blue Jays could be desperate enough now to trade a Gabriel Moreno to make sure they get that arm? Because at the end of the day, you know, and I'd like to correct myself. I said, Jose Brios is having a bad start because we were recording during the fifth inning. I saw three earned runs from Brios. And I said, Oh, here's another one. But he ended up having 13 strikeouts and really pitched well. And wow. it was a good development for Jose Brios. That's but huge. at the end of the day, the starting rotation has not been, at what's been advertised. No. So that's why I'm curious. Do you think it would be possible for that to be floated? Man, that's a good question. I didn't even think about that. Right. Because, you know, he was always untouchable, right? But he was untouchable before Alejandro Kirk became Superman. And I know he's he's scuffled a little bit as of late, but he's still been unbelievable. And still walking more than strike now. Baseball, like you said. I think that it's got to be a possibility at this point. It has to make sense, though. I think theoretically the Jays could go get somebody like Luis Castillo without parting with Moreno. But if they could go get, you know, make a monster deal out of something or, you know, it, it's it's able to get them something that, you know, maybe most people didn't even think a player that most people didn't even think was available. Um, maybe like a deal with the Marlins, let's say for a, a Pablo Lopez or something like that. Like that could be a scenario where they they are willing to part with him. I do wonder uh, if if that has changed anything. I think you look at this team, they're desperate enough to fire their manager while they're in a playoff spot. We've seen, you know, how they've kind of gone all in already. It's too late to go back. I wouldn't be surprised, man. And that's crazy to say because he was one of the more untouchables. I think I we'd seen. I still think it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to really convince them. But if it's a pitcher with years of control, with what Kirk's doing at a young age, like you said, he's got years of control with him and they've got Jansen and other guys too. You might just have to do it because where does Moreno really fit in here? So can you help me contextualize what would need to be returned to the Blue Jays for a guy like that? Like you mentioned Pablo Lopez of the Marlins. I even think like, is it is Gabriel Moreno almost too much for a guy like Luis Castillo? You also just wrote a fantastic article so. on JustBaseball.com talking about the 20 players who will be available at the trade deadline. You ranked Frankie Montas number one, but I almost think that a trade with Gabriel Moreno to the A's 
that might even be too much for a guy like Frankie Montas. What do you think would need to be the return if a team, if the Blue Jays were thinking, yes, this is worth it for Gabriel Moreno? That's another good question. I, I'm just I stumping think it's you this morning. You're, you're just you're just firing bangers. I I think I I do think about this, and it's got to be a pitcher with control. Yeah, because that is the most valuable commodity that every team is looking for is pit, starting pitching with years of control. And I think that's the way Moreno has to be the piece that pries away a player from a team that was not really keen on trading that guy. That's why I gave the Pablo Lopez comp, but you know, it could be the diamondbacks with, I know they have Varsho and I know they're okay, but it could be the diamondbacks with gallon who you look at the surface. It doesn't really make sense for them to trade gallon, but if they could get one of the best catchers potentially in baseball and it makes sense, then maybe you can pry him away. I think Moreno is like that prospect that almost is the ACE in your back pocket where you're like, Oh, this player is unavailable. Well, what if we offered you Moreno? And then the team is like, hmm, it's a little different. For the Marlins, I know that would make them trade Pablo. I they they need catching so bad. Like that's a perfect example. And I'm sure there's other examples across the game where that might make sense. Maybe it's Luis Castillo and somebody else that they're able to go get because they put Moreno in there. Same thing with the with the A's. You know, maybe they're able to get Loriano put in there with it or something crazy like that. I think that's got to be the guy, one of the few prospects that you could dangle and you could almost pry away any player that's not fully untouchable. And man, that would really save the Blue Jays here if they want to try to to change the tides. And speaking of the Blue Jays, we're about to get into the futures game, our top five or our Arums, top five hitters and top five pitchers in the futures game. And I'm curious if you have a certain Blue Jay in your top five when it comes to pitchers, because I know that there's a very talented one pitching in the futures game. Let's get straight into your top five pitchers. Who's at number five arm? So this Ricky Tiedemann was right there. I, I, Ricky Tiedemann is going to get the honorable mention nod, but I'm really excited to see him. He's a left-handed pitching prospect that has just kind of exploded this year. He is nasty. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people in that futures game. Um, our guy, Tyson Shushkowitz, who has done an unbelievable job covering the blue Jays on just baseball.com did a dive on Tiedemann. That's a guy who I think is going to kind of be untouchable for them. Looks nasty. Um, and, and again, I think they'd almost rather, in some ways, maybe keep Orelvis and Tiedemann and maybe you just trade Moreno instead. That That's the crazy thing. But number five for me is Jack Leiter. And it's crazy mm. that Jack Leiter's five. Part of that is a little bit of, of, of the early struggles. He's still so talented and has, you know, struck out guys in bunches. But I think more it's, it's a testament to how good the other four guys are. But Jack Leiter is electric. I think in a one inning spurt. Everyone's going to want to see this guy throw. I know that the consistency as a starter hasn't quite been there yet. But I mean, you're not leaving your seat when Jack Leiter t- toes the rubber, right, Peter? You're not going to get a beer when Jack Leiter comes on the mound. You're going you're gonna to be watching. Not even a little bit. And I think that is interesting because we were talking pre-record that Jack Leiter has not just taken the minor leagues by storm, like a lot of people said. But at the same time, just because he hasn't doesn't mean we think any less of him as a prospect. No. What would Jack Leiter, I guess, have to do for you to think, oh, maybe he's not what we thought? I think you'd have to struggle like this for like an entire year, like for like the next season too. I think it would have to blend into next year because the crazy part is we talked about it before we started recording. I mean, we knew that he was the most advanced pitching prospect in the draft and, and, you know, one of the best pitching prospects we've seen in a while, but 
I don't know if double A was the right move right out of the gate. You know, maybe they should have let him get things going in high A. Double A is a really aggressive assignment, and he's been struggling with command. 30 walks in 50 innings. He's punched out 62. Um, so, I mean, the swing and miss is there, but he's struggling, you know, to, to kind of fill it up with the fastball. If he continues to struggle going into next year, then I'll be concerned because this is a guy who's really smart, obviously has a father who pitched a little bit at the big league level. Jack's got a work ethic. He's he's really knows himself as a pitcher. So if he goes that long without figuring it out, then I'm a little concerned. But I mean, this is a guy that just came out of college and went straight to double A. That's a huge leap. It's an enormous leap. And especially for, you know, a guy like Jack Leiter, who, you know, while I agree with you that he was one of the more mature pitching prospects, like just because you're a mature pitching prospect doesn't mean that you just get shot up to double A immediately, like going into high, even if that's a pretty solid designation for him, even in high, like if he started in low A, I don't think you would have blinked twice. It would have just been okay. That makes sense. He's just in low A, but instead he's struggling in a double A. So I don't put a ton of stock into someone like Jack Leiter. But with that said, the Texas Rangers could certainly use him, (laughs) you know, yesterday. You know, they could yeah. certainly use him yesterday. Who's number four? Number four is is a guy that I think surprisingly the, the Dodgers could probably use right now. And it's mm. Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller has been disgusting lately. And I, I think people are going to be surprised by how hard Bobby Miller throws. This guy averages 99.3 miles per hour on his fastball. That's in the same territory. That'd be among the best in baseball right next to Hunter Green and Jacob DeGrom. Spencer and, Strider and his old big old Spencer thighs. Strider now too. <laughs> he's yeah. so good. I mean, he's in that territory with those guys. And, you know, the Dodgers like to baby their, their pitchers, like two, three innings. Now they're stretching him out. He's nasty, dude. And the command's getting there. That's going to be a guy that'll be really fun to watch. He will hit triple digits in a one inning spurt. I guarantee it a handful of times. All Dodger fans listening are thinking to themselves, we have the best team and all of these amazing prospects. And then all other fans of the 29 teams are saying, Arm, did you just rank a Dodgers pitcher above Jack Leiter of all people? And at the end of the day, I don't even think it was that hard for you right now because that's how disgusting Bobby Miller is. He's ridiculous. He just had another insane outing the other day. I mean, when you throw 99 and then you have three secondary pitches that are, are pretty darn good and he's now starting to command them. The Dodgers identify, the Dodgers develop, and Bobby Miller is just the latest example. The guy is, is a physical specimen. Absolute physical specimen. Who you got at number three? Taj Bradley. Uh, this is yeah. a guy I actually got to see in Montgomery. Uh, and No, Biloxi, excuse me. Biloxi, Mississippi. I mix up my very unexciting cities. Uh, <laughs> this dude has one of the best fastballs in the minor leagues. It's one of those that just takes off. High spin, just crazy riding action. And guess what organization? The Rays. Uh, another dude that just was late draft pick, kind of random high school guy that they overswatted, signed away, and uh, he has just been dominant at every stop. And so far this season in double A, as a guy that just turned 21 years old, a 170 RA in 74 innings, 88 Ks, 18 walks. Banger of a slider, fastball that just takes off and a supreme athlete on the mound, Taj Bradley's gross. Who does Taj Bradley kind of remind you of when you think about, like, does he remind you of any of these? I mean, you said he's got the banger of a fastball on the slider. I'm like, does it remind you somewhat of a Shane Boz or, or not really that kind of guy? Because he's, he's to be honest, I don't really know this guy that well. 
that's actually not, I mean, it, it's funny. It's same organization. Yeah. You know, I think they look for specific kinds of guys. Uh, I think there's some similarities to Boz and he's, but like Boz, when he figured it out, like he's mm. so ahead of, which is awesome. Uh, obviously Boz has, you know, a, a myriad of secondaries that he can kind of attack you with a little bit more. Uh, Bradley is still working on that third pitch more, uh, but I think he is pretty similar to Boz with the riding fastball and the slider that is just disgusting uh, and the athleticism on the mound. The only difference is he doesn't pack as big of a lip, uh, but, but I mean, the Rays are in business pitching wise. That's why I can't get behind those guys. You know, when you, when you're <laughs> deciding between Grayson Rodriguez and Shane Boz for the best pitching prospect in baseball, who can stand on the mound with the biggest dip in their mouth? I mean, it's sometimes yeah. you have to be able to separate them sometimes. And I know that Shane Boz big old lip in his mouth, you know, at least he's, he's focused, right? I don't know if Grayson's is focused. Uh, should that be a PED? It's good. It should be something. <laughs> Who you got at number two? Number two, Kyle Harrison, left-handed pitching prospect in the Giants org. And Kyle Harrison was a high school guy over slot that just hit the ground running last year, carved up uh, low A, striking out more than 15 per nine. He gets the start in high A this year, and in seven starts there, Peter, he struck out 18 batters per nine innings. 18 batters per nine innings. So they said, okay, let's stop wasting your time. We'll bump you up Fair to enough. double A, and now he's only striking out 13 per nine. Only uh, his, he, <laughs> he's another one of those guys that throws like that difficult to pick up fastball and then one of the nastiest changeups in the minor league. So you have fastball riding up, changeup diving down, and also an above-average slider. Tough to read it out of his hand. This dude is one of the best young pitching prospects. Still, still just 20 years old. And so Kyle Harrison, I do know a little bit more about because you talked about the stuff. But I feel like with Kyle Harrison, what's put him on such an incredible level, too, is a lot of guys have great stuff. But Kyle Harrison, the pitchability we talk about, just being a pitcher rather than a thrower at such a young age. Is that really his calling card or is it just the pitchability combined with how good the stuff is, is making kind of the ultimate pitcher? Because I think even if the stuff dropped off, I'm just hypothetical here if this stuff were to just drop off he's such a good pitcher to his core that he could even make it even if he doesn't have that change up one day or the slider one day am i off on that no no because the fastball is like he can locate it and he uses it to set up pitches to your point so like he he struck out 157 guys in 98 innings last year that's walked 52 but then this year walk rate dwindles even more gets called up to the next level. Walk rate continues to dwindle. So this is a dude that, you know, he had a one or two outings where he, he didn't trust the stuff and the command went wayward. But for a 20-year-old to do what he is doing right now in double A against you know, competition that is is much older than him, much, much older than him. He's one of the youngest pitchers in that level besides Yuri Perez, who, you know, is next. Uh, I, yeah, I, I would agree. It's, it's the pitchability that takes pressure off of it, but also the stuff there combined with it that's what gives you an elite, 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 elite pitching prospect. But someone who might be even better is your number one guy. And to your credit, you're about to go over him. I want to preface it. It ain't Marlon's bias here. This dude looks like the truth. I mean, how tall is the arm? Six, six, lanky, six, eight. six, eight. Are you kidding me? Six foot eight sort of reminds me of Sandy and just the way yeah, that no, he looks a like a horse. There. But I mean, Aram, he might have just better all around stuff than Sandy does. I, I can tell he does at 19 years old. 
He is way ahead of Sandy at 19 years old. And I think the stuff has better potential. Uh, is he going to throw a hundred the, the way Sandy does? I don't know, but Maybe. he doesn't have to because his command is way, way ahead. And I'm glad you prefaced that it wasn't that it's not Marlins bias I've because I was too. just going to start it like this. And I was just going to be like, tell me if this profile is okay for you. Um, and then I'll explain why he's good. Six he's, foot eight, yeah. 19 years old, plus plus command. 96 to 98 mile per hour fastball with off the chart spin rate, an above average slider, an above average changeup, and a decent curveball. Uh, how does that sound to you for a guy in double A walking two batters per nine while striking out nearly 13? You know what it shows me that he's one of the best overall pitching prospects in all of baseball. And another thing about Yuri Perez is that, you know, it's one thing to hear from you, and it's one thing to hear maybe from another person in the Marlins organization or something, but you look around, like just look up Yuri Perez articles. Just look up when any, when any time anyone sees him in person, I even hear like a Keith law talk about him or some other prospect guys, it changes their mental. They almost say, Oh my dear Lord, watch this man pitch. And I don't mean to go crazy here, but I think it's not unfair to put him in the same breath as a Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles, as a Shane boss, like that level of potential ACE caliber, phenomenal prospect. Dude, a 19 year old who is six, eight should not be able to repeat his mechanics this well. It's unbelievable. And to take it a step further, we were talking to Zach McCambly, a pitcher with the, with the Pensacola Wahoos second round pick in 2020. And I was like, what's the most amazing thing to you about Yuri Perez? He's like, the fact that he's three, four years younger than everybody else on this team, and he might be the most mature. And, you know, when you hear something like that, too, he's like, he'll give up a home run and he locks back in and he makes a a perfect pitch. Like that side of things, too, I'm willing to bet on this guy being a pretty good pitcher for a long time. That's probably a breath of fresh air to some Marlins fans who some other players in their organization may not have that same level of maturity. And I think we can leave it at that. Unless you want to get into it. I'm not no. trying to make you. <laughs> I, I, you know what? It's a story right now. So let's, let's, let's briefly get into it. Khalil Watson's not with the team. Uh, he's back home and I, they don't know when he's going to be playing again. Is there's That was the Marlins first rounder last year. Um, and there's, seems to be some some rumblings that he might not play with the Marlins again. They might trade him. Uh, that's how ugly things have gotten between the Marlins and, and Khalil Watson in terms of, you know, disciplinary things and uh, just the relationship overall is, has gone awry. And it just, it's the Marlins, man. They cannot get out of their own way, but at least they got this one right because Yuri Perez was a $200,000 international free agent. That's nothing. Yeah. Phenomenal. And and we were talking about this pre-recording as well. I was trying to kind of walk you off the plank a little bit because we were realizing on the day of draft last year when he fell to 14 to the Marlins, it was the right pick. No, this was, was a guy who was a top was five moon. talent. And when we look at talented prospects throughout baseball, there's a reason he's so high on so many lists. But at the, at the same time, there are guys who are a little bit less talented who have just a better head on their shoulders at this time. And they will make the major leagues because everybody is talented in the minor leagues. Just because you have immense talent doesn't mean that you're just going to have this 
you know, shooting straight into the majors. That's not how baseball works. Yogi Berra said it best. It's 90% mental and the other half is physical or whatever. <laughs> uh, what was the, what was the quote? 90%. That is it. That's right. That is it. 90% mental. Other half is physical, which is unbelievable. I love, I love Yogi Berra's. And it's my senior quote was a Yogi Berra quote. Um, but now, it, it is true. You're hundred percent correct. And the thing with the Marlins is, you know, usually baseball, like you said, is so mental. You usually conduct your pre-draft interviews with players that you think you're going to draft they didn't talk to Khalil Watson because why would he fall to them? He was supposed to go top five. He went and speaking of mock drafts, which we're going to get into, I had him at three going third in that mock draft. And everybody expected him to be top five. He was even invited to the draft with Marcelo Meyer and Jordan Lawler. Like he was with, he was considered in that same group with them. So uh, obviously something happened there. The Marlins just said, Hey, we got to take a shot here. And you know, it, it just really didn't work out for them, but I, I think it was the right decision. I would have been more upset if they didn't do it. It's just unfortunate. It just seems like it's always the Marlins. Does seem to always be the Marlins at some point. Let's break into the hitters. Let's get you on a happy note now. We talked about Yuri Perez, which got your which got your insulin levels raising, and then Khalil Watson just dropped them off the face of the planet. Let's get them back up here. Let's talk about your top five hitters. Is there an honorable mention that you feel like has to be mentioned, kind of similar to Ricky Tiedemann with the Blue Jays? Was there an honorable mention that you thought, we have our five, but man, this dude's awesome. Yeah, I go Robert Hassel the third. So much fun to watch. Padres. Great hitter, just well-rounded ball player. And Zach Veen. I mean, it's crazy that Zach Veen's not going to be in this top five here, but Zach Veen, I think he's on pace for like 50-something stolen bases. He, We know the kind of power potential he has. He is incredible. I know that's one of Jack's favorite prospects. I'm actually surprised he didn't make your top five for the Rockies. I mean, this guy could be kind of the new Charlie Blackman, but even better than Charlie Blackman. Yeah, Yeah, no, he could be a legit superstar. The only reason is the guys ahead of him are either already hitting at a higher level or have a little bit more, you know, in terms of the projection, which is saying a lot because Zach Veen has the projection to legitimately be like a perennial all-star. But as I go through the next five names, they'll be like, ooh, yeah, it's kind of tough to squeeze him in there. Uh, But Zach Veen... I'm really excited to see him too. What about your top five now? Top five hitting prospects in the futures game. Arm Layton, who's at number five? Number five is Ellie De La Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds. And this guy is insane. Switch hitter with plus speed, plus plus raw power, plus arm. It's plus everything except for the hit tool, which has already improved drastically. His strikeout rate has continued to drop as the year's gone on. He is leading high A in almost every single statistic. 20 home runs, 28 stolen bases, sitting 303, 361, 610 this year. Won't be long before he's in double A. This guy puts up some of the best exit velos in the minor leagues, and he is still just a, a twig. He has more room to fill out. This guy could be O'Neill Cruz-ish, but, but a switch hitter. Uh, and that's wow. just the craziest part. Baseball is in such a good place with some of these guys. So I want to take you back a little bit with Ellie De La Cruz too, because you, this is a prospect that I've been hearing from you now for a very long time. And, and maybe this is a question that's maybe a little bit too tough to answer because there's just so many things that can happen. But did you see a change in Ellie De La Cruz? Like, was there a swing change? What helped him at the plate to with the hit tool? Like what made Ellie De La Cruz from a toolsy, potentially great prospect to wow, he keeps the barrel in the zone and he just hits everything. Honestly, like that's the thing is, is he really did a good job even then of like keeping the barrel in the zone. It was swing decisions. And now Mm -hmm. 
he's making much better swing decisions. He was so good and so quick and so powerful that I felt like he swung at everything. He just, you know, he was just eating complex league pitchers alive. Uh, and low A, he struggled a little bit with expanding the zone. And then this year, just way better at just commanding the strike zone, not chasing the high fastballs, not expanding the zone to the breaking balls in the dirt. And, you know, when he gets something he can handle, he just doesn't miss mistakes now. Um, so it's really just been approach dependent and he just continues to mature, which is awesome. Phenomenal. Who you got at number four? You know, well, you'll like number four, Anthony Volpe. Anthony Volpe still hanging in there. You know, I, he's come alive. You've noted that on the podcast and um, he's heating up big time. He was still like way ahead of his level relative to his age. He's just a well-rounded player. Is he going to hit the tape measure home run uh, like Ellie De La Cruz? Probably not, but he does everything so well. Not the kind of player that you're really going to get to appreciate in one game, but it's just going to be cool to be able to watch him do his thing. I'm sure you're very excited to watch him in person um, so because this guy is the future of the shortstop position for the Yankees. Does everything well. And I'm kind of glad he struggled at the beginning of the year because now I get to work through that. And I think he's kind of put it all back together. He, he's going to finish really strong. And this guy's a top 15 prospect in baseball for a reason. I just think it's incredible that Anthony Volpe got drafted in the first round by the Yankees, but how it's not how he was discovered because he was definitely on lists. But at the end of the day, he played shortstop with Jack Leiter, who was on the mound. So he got a ton of eyes when pro scouts were looking at Jack Leiter that they got to go see this kid named Anthony Volpe. Then he yeah. ultimately got drafted by the Yankees and has soared through the minor leagues. You know, the more I look at him, the more I try and compare him to Glaber, just because Glaber was a guy that the Yankees got in the Aroldis Chapman deal, and he was supposed to be this great shortstop prospect yeah. also. And I truly think, Aram, that at the low end, Anthony Volpe's bat will be as good as Glaber Torres' bat right yeah. now. And, and the great thing is, you know, I was harping at the beginning of the season. I said, the move to second base will just clear up Glaber Torres' mind yeah. and then it'll get right back to hitting. While he hasn't been the prolific 38 home runs, he probably won't end up like that. I think he will be a 25 home run guy. Volpe can do that as well. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, Glaber is going to be in the 260 to 270 range in the batting average. I think Volpe will be higher. That's and the, difference. the bigger difference in my eyes is that Glaber, of course, couldn't play shortstop. Volpe's going to play a great defensive shortstop. Yeah. So you have all of the great positives of Glaber Torres, but just imagine if Glaber could play a great defensive shortstop and hit for a higher average. It was like, That's what I think you're getting with Volpe. Imagine if you could fill in the holes in Glaber's game. Not <laughs> like, Anthony Volpe, yeah. seriously. Listen to this since June 10th. He's hitting, and this is Anthony Volpe, sitting 330, 413, 585. It's a 172 WRC plus, but most importantly, 11% walk rate, 12% K rate. And doesn't that fire you up as a prospect guy? Because you mentioned it kind of when you were talking about it, that the struggles you appreciated because the fact that he didn't let his struggles get to him, that there was a lot of hype going into the season and you start struggling, that can really get in your head and result in a bad start season. Pressing. But he just turned it around like that. And now he's number four on this list when we just heard that Ellie De La Cruz could be O'Neill <laughs> Cruz as switch hitter. And you yeah. say, you know what? Anthony Volpe is higher than this kid. Because he's so safe. You know, I, I, especially just with the adjustment, like, again, the ability to literally, he sucked at the beginning of the year. I'll call it. He was bad. And like, just, like he looked a lot. And then totally just turns into now what has been across that stretch. One of the best hitters in the minor leagues. 
Not only that, he's stealing bags like crazy too. And these are double A bags. These are legit bags. He's 35 and 38 on bags this year. Like this guy is, is Glaber with more tools and, and a higher floor. That's insane. Cause Glaber is what, like you said, one of the top prospects in baseball. And Glaber, he's not going to be an all-star this year, but was in the consideration. And we're saying that Glaber's a little bit of issues resulted in just missing out on the all-star game. Anthony Volpe fills all those holes. Now I can't wait to hear number three. So number three is, is my guy, Corbin Carroll and your buddy, uh, you know, and also now a uh, c- contributor, he always was, but was busy. Dustin Demeter but now is winding down his collegiate baseball career and selfishly pumped to have him back on the, on the prospect contribution side of things. This is one of Dustin's favorite prospects. And I got to give Dustin a nod because Dustin was hyping this guy up when he was 18 and short season ball. Uh, and I'm watching video and I'm like, this guy's really interesting, but is there going to be that much impact? And you know, that wasn't even a question that Dustin could answer, but he's like, I just love the way he plays. It's going to work. And you know what? It's working, but there's also impact. This this is one of the fastest players in the minor leagues. He's 70 grade runner. He's one of the most advanced hitters in terms of, you know, making adjustments pitch to pitch using the whole field, but now he's sneaking in more power, 16 home runs in 58 games in double a two more home runs in two games in triple a. So already 18 home runs in 60 games this year, 20 bags as well, hitting over 300 walking at a good clip plays elite center field. The Diamondbacks have a really good outfield situation kind of coming up in the future here between Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll. I, I think you could pretty much put Volpe and Tom, and Corbin Carroll right next to each other. To me, they're kind of, they're kind of three, three A and three B. Um, but I, I lean just Corbin Carroll because I think he's just one of the safest prospects in baseball. And, and I just love his game. Hearing Dustin talk about Corbin Carroll and I don't want to misquote Dustin. I'm actually going to give him a call after this, but I was just talking to him the other day. And the way he talks about Corbin Carroll, the fact that you can dream on this kid, the fact that he could hit over 300 with 25 home runs, play a gold glove caliber center field while also stealing 25 bags. He just said the possibilities of this guy, he's so high floor, but at the end of the day, like his worst is going to be a, an above average big leaguer. Like that's the worst Corbin Carroll version you're going to get. But the dreaming part could be one of the best overall players in baseball. And I think, again, don't want to misquote him. If I asked Dustin, gun to your head, who's your favorite prospect in baseball? I think he'd say Corbin Carroll. I think he would say Corbin Carroll, too. And you know what, dude? You look at prospect lists across the industry. Carroll's breaking into the top five now uh, in a lot of publications. And in our midseason update, he's going to be up there. But I agree. I think I think Dustin would would say Corbin is, is top five. And Dustin take him played, over everybody. I think <laughs> five years of college ball was drafted out of high school. Like he knows he knows the game. And I think you know Dustin is is kind of a grinder type. And I think he identified with Corbin Carroll with that. Like smart hitter makes adjustments pitch to pitch. Except Corbin Carroll is is a five tool freak. Um, and that's the craziest part is Corbin Carroll should be that a slap hitting leadoff hitter. But instead, he has every other tool in the shed, too. Uh, for such a small, compact guy, it's pretty amazing. It, it, he's a guaranteed above-average big leaguer. It's like the safest thing in the world, I think. And I never say that about prospects. Who the fuck could be number two now? Gunner Henderson. Uh, Gunner there we go. freaking Henderson. I can't be more in on Gunner Henderson. I, it, w- what this dude is doing this year is in – I just, I just can't believe it. He turned 21 14 days ago. So happy belated to Gunnar Henderson. He's in triple A, Peter. He's in triple A at 20 years old and mashing there. He has 
He started the year in double, hit 312, 452, 573 with eight homers and 12 bags, and was walking more than he was striking out as a 20 year old in double A. Gets bumped up to triple, has hit five home runs already, walking at a 16% clip, nearly getting on base at a 400 clip, and plays good defense at shortstop. If he moves to third, he'll be a gold glove caliber defender there. Left handed bat make some of the best swing decisions I've seen. I mean, the guy doesn't chase. He crushes mistakes. There's almost no hole to poke in his game. I, I really look at him and I'm like, this is another dude that is safe, but with the upside power-wise that I think you could really count on this guy being uh, one of the best infielders in the game if it works out. And I think it's going to, and he's he could debut at 21. What's the difference between him and Bobby Witt? Speed. That's it. Bobby's just got a little bit more speed. Bobby's got more speed. Gunner's a better hitter. So wow. like, that's the thing is I can actually say Gunnar Henderson's better at something. Gunnar Henderson is a better hitter, uh, more well-rounded uh, in, in that regard. Obviously Bobby's got power, you know, like crazy. I don't think Gunnar's power is that far off. I mean, this guy's miss hitting home runs the other way, but I mean, it's, they're closer than a lot of people might think. I think that's a great question. Orioles fans must be rejoicing. We were just talking about how amazing Grayson Rodriguez is going to be. Of course, he's been hurt. Orioles have now won nine in a row. We're recording right now. We're on 3.50 p.m. Pacific time, 6.50. We're arms at in Florida. So I think the Orioles are playing the Cubs again today. It's Justin Steele facing Spencer Watkins. The Orioles could win their 10th game in a row, go a game above above 500. 500. The window is opening. And you still have so many good prospects in that system. Orioles fans, the drought could be over very soon. And you're looking, and then we're about to talk about the mock draft stuff. They have their number one overall pick at the end of the day, too. So annoying. Orioles, man. I mean, first of all, just this AL East is about to be so loaded. They might have to just break up the division at some point because you might have the five best teams of the American League all in the same division. They should just reshuffle, like actually reshuffle. The central divisions can like can kick rocks. I think we uh, should trade the Royals for the Blue Jays and then trade the Rays for the Rangers and then just kind of mix it up out there. You know? I would love that. I would, I would love that. that. Uh, God, so, it really is crazy. Dude, I mean, we, and, you know, sometimes Arm and I, when we start talking prospects, we can start getting a little bit crazy. But at the end of the day, Arm, I don't think that you've been that crazy in your analysis. Like, I don't think you've been too hyperbolic too much. Sometimes <laughs> I can get too much. But at the end of the day, no one, I think, is going to disagree with what you're saying, which is the crazy part about it. Who in the world could be number one after all these guys? The muscle hamster, Francisco Alvarez, who talk about a wonderkin. 20 years old in triple a, that, it, that is even more insane. He saw Gunnar Henderson and said, let me one up you. Uh, what he is doing as a catcher is, is just so impressive. Uh, in double a at 20 years old this year, hit 18 home runs in 67 games, hit 277, 368, 553. He has the offensive upside to be one of the best hitters in the game as a catcher. Where, where do you get that? You know, where, where do you get that kind of ability? I mean, it, it's, I would argue potentially even more offensive upside than Adley Rutschman, uh, just because of, of how impactful he is at such a young age. He walks a ton and then he, he's not going to be the defender that Adley is. He's not going to be as, as, you know, good behind the dish, but he's still average at least behind the dish, but you're talking about plus plus raw power, 
uh, an above average field to hit and ability to defend to be 20 years old in triple a is, is just unbelievable. And Francisco Alvarez is very quickly becoming one of the best prospects in baseball uh, and, and has a strong case at being the number one prospect in baseball in our midseason update. I think if you ask Mets fans, we're going to give you the number one prospect in baseball. What position do you want him to be? I think they'd even say catcher. This yeah. is a match made in heaven. The yes. Mets, you look around the diamond, you could say third base would be an issue, at least right now on the big league roster. Yeah, you know, yeah. Eduardo Escobar has been great. You know, J.D. Davis has a very hard hit rate, but it's not freaking going anywhere. But they do have Mark Vientos and they have Brett Beatty. So at least at third base, there's more reinforcements coming. But when you look at the catching position for the Mets, you know, Thomas Nito is not that guy. James McCann doesn't seem to be living up to that contract that they gave him. And Patrick Mazika, you know, Sweet hair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's he's, he's, a, he's a baseball player. He's he a, baseball a baseball player. player. He's a baseball he, player in the major leagues. Congrats. That's awesome. You know, very, I'm not even being sarcastic. That's awesome. That's <laughs> that's my analysis of Patrick Mazika. Yeah. But Francisco Alvarez could be not only the best catcher in baseball, but fills such an important need for the New York Mets, who are a damn good baseball team right now. He's such a good hitter that, I mean, there's a legitimate conversation of, do we bring this guy up as a DH for us? For a catching prospect, for that to be an option is insane. I, I agree. You you have to, to look at that situation and say, I think this is the most ideal scenario for Mets fans. I hear them complain about the, the catching situation so much. Alvarez will be your dude next year. Don't worry about it. He'll be ready to go. And he's just beat the clock in every way. I don't think anybody expected him to reach triple A and to dominate double A the way he did. It's a testament to how talented he is offensively. Amazing. Just run through it one last time, just real quick, the five pitchers and then the five hitters, and then we'll break into mock draft talk. It's a good teaser too, for the midseason update. That's coming in a few weeks. Yuri Perez, number one, Kyle Harrison, number two, Taj Bradley, number three, Bobby Miller, number four, and Jack Leiter, number five on the pitching side. And then you have Francisco Alvarez at number one, Gunnar Henderson, number two, Corbin Carroll, number three, Anthony Volpe, number four, and Ellie De La Cruz at number five. And now we're transitioning over to draft talk because it's funny. The draft and the futures game are on back-to-back days. It's going to be an enormous day of prospect talk. So we're going to continue that prospect talk and move into mock draft 3.0. And of course, we're not going to go through every single pick because you got to go read it on justbaseball.com because Aram and our guy, Ryan Miller, spent bunches of hours calling different prospect, calling different prospect, calling different prospect evaluators in order to create the ultimate mock draft. So arm, can you kind of take us through your procedure when you're going through this? Like who are the people that you want to call? What are the biggest things that you want to focus on? Because at the end of the day, none of these teams are drafting for need. So it's almost a rank of prospects or what are you thinking there? Yeah. You know, it's tough because you, you want to, you know, I'm always so used to evaluate player, rank them in a top 100 manner. The mock draft is so different because it's like, even if you think a prospect is, is better, a draft prospect's better than another draft prospect doesn't necessarily mean they're going in a certain spot. Right. So draft rankings and draft and a mock draft are like two totally different things. And um, so, you know, talking to as many people as we can, whether it's other publications and people I trust there, uh, scouts out there that I'm lucky enough to have some contact with, and even like some, some players 
who just are connected. They're agents and things like that. Agents obviously are the most plugged in. The more agents you can talk to, the better. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where you're trying to get as much information as you can. But I mean, you look at like Mel Kuyper on the football yeah. side and like those guys are the most plugged in dudes in the world and they get like eight right a year. Uh, so <laughs> you're just trying to at least at the very, very least, just get people up to date on what the gist is of the draft. Meaning like, you know, everyone wants to know where Kumar rocker is going to be. And we'll talk about that, but like we have rocker in, in the 26 spot where it's like, that's the latest we expect him to be like, he's going to be a first rounder. We have Jackson holiday at number one, that is something that's a little bit of, of like a surprise that's new, but like, that's something that we know is a big possibility and we want to have him in that vicinity. We know he's definitely going to be in the top three. Like you just want to at least give the gist of what's going to happen. Because if, if I could predict the draft then no one would watch it uh, and I could just tweet it all out, like Woj does uh, for the NBA draft, which there's a reason why Woj doesn't make any mock drafts. I think. Exactly. And if you could predict the draft pick by pick, you'd be on an island. I don't even know if you'd be talking baseball anymore. You would have just made so much money off being able to predict these things. Oh. You probably would have bet on the on the eighth pick going to whoever, and then you'd be on an island. So oh. you wouldn't even be talking about it. So oh, we're glad to have you. We're glad to have you. <laughs> let's um let's talk about a guy who I noticed, and this is one of the more interesting arms. It's Landon Sims. He's a guy who has some reliever risk, of course, because he was a big time reliever in college, but went into the rotation this year and was phenomenal in the rotation over there. So I'm kind of curious because in the old mock, at least the one that Ryan did, he went to the Red Sox at number 24. And again, it's not just that it's because the Red Sox, but he was legitimately in the first round. Now in this new mock, he's kind of slid in the compensation picks. I'm curious, was there anything that took you off Landon Sims? It's almost just curious by nature because yeah. I enjoyed watching him on the college circuit so much. He's good, man. He's really good. I, You know, the, the Tommy John surgery is just a little bit different than there's a lot of Tommy John guys in this draft. And some of them are high school dudes um, that, that I think are going to go ahead of him. It's more the, the, the idea that Landon Sims was a reliever, like you said, goes to the rotation and then his arm blows out. And there's this like concern of just his arm blow out. Cause he went to the rotation. Was it just happened to be the timing of it? Can he be stretched out? Is he a reliever? Is he a starter? I just think there's a little bit too much question as to whether he is a starter and can be stretched out. Like you said, though, I mean, we watched this guy shove. He was good as a starter uh, when we saw him, and he was nasty as a reliever, but there's just not enough to work with there. I could see him going earlier. I, You know, a team could feel really confident and take him. I just look at, at the situation there, and I, I feel like some teams might just be a little bit wary um, and, and, and let him slip to 37. And speaking about another pitcher, kind of in that same boat, who I just think the world of when he gets healthy, and I think he's going to end up being the steal of the draft, Peyton Paulette out of Arkansas. I think this guy is such a phenomenal pitcher, and that once he gets healthy, teams are going to be kicking themselves that they didn't draft Peyton Paulette. Really, I mean, I think when healthy, this is the best pitcher in the draft. And I think that that's how he should be drafted. But at the end of the day, we're going to talk about some of those. So I don't want to give them away yet. But Peyton Paulette, what have you heard? Dude, I, I it's funny you mentioned him because I, I was thinking about it and I'm like, he might not make it to 31. But at the same time, I'm just there's not that much rumblings on him. I know, you know when, when I'm rich, there's nothing negative, but there's nothing like there's not that much helium or hype there. Sometimes that's a smokescreen. Maybe everybody's interested in him uh, and, and they're trying to hide it. Maybe there's one team that's really interested in him. They're trying to hide it as well. If the Rockies get him at 31, 
that is a huge gap for them. Cause I agree, man. I mean, between the fastball in the mid nineties and the curveball, which is over 3000 RPMs, he has as much upside as anybody. If people want to still try to prioritize the size thing, he's six one one eighty. That might be a factor, but I think we've seen now time and time again that you can be short and succeed. And now a lot of teams actually like that low release point. I agree with you, Peter. I think Paulette could be one of the steals of the draft, but I think he could fall there. How tall is Spencer Schreider? That's more just like a sarcastic comment as if like how much really does size matter, at least height. It's great if you are tall, but then I'll ask, how's Forrest Whitley doing? (laughs) Yeah, not great. Not great all i gotta say so let's keep going um and i want to talk about this yankees pick too because you know i'm a little bit selfish but before i get into the yankees pick at number 26 because the yankees pick 25 is who we were talking about kumar rocker and he's starting to get a lot of buzz again i'm curious if he could end up even going higher than 26 but you have him going to the white Sox again so tough to gauge but the draft is coming up do you think that when you put him at 26, do you think there's a higher probability he goes higher or higher probability he goes lower? Higher. I think this is the bottom. I think this is the bottom. I wanted to play it safe because just because I don't want to have, because I've heard, I've heard everything from 12 to, to, to 30, but I don't, I don't think he slips past the white Sox at 26. And especially it's really the, the problem with this is it's all dependent on like medicals and it. Yeah. And apparently it's better than it was last year, but even then it's, it's like still a little restrictive and you know, some teams feel better. Other teams don't. I look at the white Sox down. I'm like, there's no way he falls past them. I, they need a guy like him. And, and I think that's a perfect get for them, but I could see, I could make the case for the Red Sox to take him at 24. There's been rumblings of their interest in him. You can make a case for the Blue Jays at 23, though. They may want to steer clear of some injury-prone arms. You can make the case for the Cardinals at 22. Like, there's so many teams that could take a crack at him. And honestly, I think that's the floor for, for Kumar Rocker is, is at 26. I think that's the worst, like the lowest he's going to go. And for anyone who is unaware maybe of Kumar Rocker, maybe you forgot that name. He pitched at Vandy. He went number 10 to the New York Mets and ultimately Mm -hmm. didn't sign due to those injury concerns. But now he's back. He's been pitching in the Frontier League, and he's been up to 99 miles an hour once again. But this is a guy who's thrown a lot of innings now. But if that arm is healthy, he could be a frontline starter when it's all said and done. And there's nothing more valuable in a draft than a frontline starter that you can draft in the first round. That's why I love Peyton Paulette so much, but let's just break into the Yankees pick quickly because I think it's interesting. You know, we talked about Anthony Volpe. We've, t- we've spoken about Oswald Peraza. The Yankees drafted Trey Sweeney in the first round last year, but you have them taking another shortstop Peyton Graham shortstop out of Oklahoma. A guy we talked about in our college baseball episodes, a guy that we saw in the college world series, crazy talented. And I just kind of want to throw it over to you. Not exactly to talk about just like what the Yankees are, but just about the fact that in baseball, you draft the best player available more often than not, rather than, oh, you know, we have some shortstops. Why would we take another? So I just hoping you can kind of contextualize that for yeah. people who it's like, well, my team needs a catcher, but we drafted an outfielder. Why? Yeah. Because again, I, I'm, you, you made a great point. And that was a question I got a lot on the stream I did with Bleacher Report earlier today, which was, it's just, you're taking the player that you think is going to develop into a good big leaguer. So many of these guys don't develop into good big leaguers. If you draft by positional need, you're going to handcuff yourself. And like you can't have too many shortstops. And I look at Peyton Graham and, and that's a guy that 
power is already tapped into has a ton of physical projection still hit 20 home runs last year and has projection for more physicality could be a 30 plus home run guy, some swing and miss concern, but I think the Yankees are the perfect organization to develop him. And the Yankees are really good at identifying, identifying those guys and developing them. Now Austin Wells had some swing and miss concern has really started to hedge that and looks really good. Trey Sweeney had some swing and miss concern started really slow. Now starting to show signs of life. Volpe was not tapping into power. Now he's tapping into power. Like they do a good job of just developing their guys. And I think this is a perfect candidate for them. I've heard Spencer Jones uh, from Vanderbilt as a possibility there as well, which would be a big shock. Um, But yeah, I I think you got to go with the guy that you believe in the most. And I just think that this is a guy that fits the Yankees mold pretty well. Not to mention they could trade one or two of those shortstop prospects. We don't even know. We know Volpe's not going anywhere, but who knows where Peraza could go. Very true. I also want to talk about another guy who's been shooting up draft boards. I'm just looking at him right now because when I was going through this mock draft, this was the guy who I thought to myself, Hmm, I don't know much about Robbie Snelling, who is now going 19 to the Oakland athletics out of McQueen, Nevada, six foot three, 220 pound, 18 year old committed to LSU. And LSU has been a college that can definitely take him because, you know, they just got the twins pitching coach. You know, it seems like now they're getting everybody and they're creating everybody over there. But who is this kid? How, why has he been rising up draft boards so quickly? Dude, that that was, this was a guy I had to do a dive on because I, you know, he really did kind of shoot up out of nowhere. Nevada. I know we have, uh, we got Chris Bryant from there, right. And we've got Bryce Harper from there, but it's really not a hotbed. Uh, it's not a place that produces a ton of, of, you know, first round talent year over year. And so oftentimes guys get under scouted out there. I, that's why I think actually Oakland has probably seen more of him than almost anybody else. And that might be a good fit for him, but he's a lefty that all of a sudden just started grabbing 94s and then started grabbing 95s and then even touched 96. And was a pitchability guy first. So now seeing that VLO jump up, teams are really interested because this guy has command. He's got the build. He's 6'3", 220. He's got a feel for secondaries a little bit. Like it's, it's almost like where when Anthony Davis was a guard and then shot up uh, it, it, to the size of a center, but always had the handles because he, he learned to be a guard. It's similar to that with Snelling where it's like, he has pitchability. He was not really always operating with that kind of stuff. Saw his stuff tick up. And his command is still really good. This could be a steal here. Not a lot of track records, so it's it's a risk. But, I mean, this could be a, a nice pickup here with a guy that seems to be just going, not like this. I know if I'm gesturing diagonally, it's like straight up with, with, wow. with what the stock is right now. And almost moving to the opposite of that, not that this guy is bad by any stretch of the imagination. You have him going 17 to the Philadelphia Phillies. It. But Chase DeLauder is a guy who was thought of as a potential number one overall pick going into this year, but didn't perform quite up to expectations, had a foot injury as well. I've heard him, you know, there have been talks that he reminds you of Kyle Tucker, guys like that. So what's the deal with Chase DeLauder? And do you think that he could drop even further than 17? Or are you being safe with him and you actually think he's going to go higher than this? I think it's right around this this range. Um, you know, it's, it's really tough to gauge him because he was a guy that showed that he could hit it, you know, against high competition, high end competition on the Cape. Was good there. And that's what really shot his stock up. Then has that opening series against the, 
Florida State Seminoles and got blown up. You know, you don't want to draw conclusions from one series, but it wasn't even really competitive. And even like his BP rounds after that looked a little bit, you know, wonky. He just seemed in his own head. Then after that, he he went off, though. He, he did start to hit really well and then unfortunately breaks his foot sliding into second base, which kind of cuts things short. So he's just a unique kind of tough case here. I still think that there's a lot of teams that are going to like him. It's a skill set similar to Kyle Tucker, like you said, 6'5", 235, so maybe even a little bit bigger, uh, above average speed for a big dude and a good field to hit and some pop. This could be a steal here, but also, you know, there is some risk. You're taking a guy from James Madison who didn't consistently play high-end competition, but I'll always side with the Cape Cod League performance. I always think that that's, that's usually a very good indicator and, you know, more so than a, a series against Florida State to start your season. This could be an, a, a steal here for the Phillies uh, with, with the way DeLauder has looked at, at points. The two best pitchers in this draft, not just by you, but I feel like every publication is now recognized that Brock Porter, a right-hander out of St. Mary's Prep in Minnesota, and Dylan Lesko, a right-handed pitcher again out of Georgia. Brock Porter is committed to Clemson, while Dylan Lesko is committed to Vanderbilt. You have Brock Porter going 11 to the Mets and Dylan Lesko going 10th to the Rockies. Do you think that they are that close in terms of talent? Or do you think that Dylan Lesko is the far better prospect? I'm just kind of gauging there too, because they're right next to each other. Could you have flip-flopped them or is Dylan Lesko kind of the clear favorite here? Lesko is my, my clear favorite. I think Brock Porter's helped himself a lot. Um, But watching Lesko before Tommy John, if he didn't get the Tommy John surgery, uh, and I even talked to my former coach, his, his summer team, they, they faced Lesko. And he said that this guy's just kind of a different different level than almost everybody else in his age group. And despite the Tommy John surgery, still the first player off the board in this draft. I think if it weren't for Tommy John surgery, he could have forced his way up into the top five or six picks if one of those teams wanted to take an arm. Like he was that good. Unfortunately, Tommy John probably sets him back a little bit, but we, we know that hasn't deterred teams too much in the past. And I mean, the Rockies would be over the moon to get him at 10. And I think that can happen. I like Porter a lot, but they're, they're kind of similar builds, similar size. And Lesko just seems a little bit further along with his command and his stuff. I don't think the Tommy John surgery is going to change much. And uh, I, I think Lesko is kind of my, my clear number one, but they're close now because of the Tommy John. And number eight, I got to say, this is my most shocking one. Tamar Johnson is falling. I know why I know. this was, this was a pure what I'm hearing thing. And, and again, could, could be a little bit of just, you know, smoke because it was all positive, 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 positive on this guy. But apparently, you know, we know how good the hit tool is, but the thing is, is, is the tools around that are somewhat limited, right? Hmm. He's a five, 895 pound second baseman with, you know, slightly above average speed you're really betting on the hit tool. And apparently he has shown some vulnerability. I mean, again, nothing that would undermine him being in a well above average and the, and the most advanced hitter in the class, but maybe not this almost 70 grade hit tool guy that a lot of people were hoping he would be, you know, he's still a plus hit tool guy, but there's a little bit of vulnerability. And I think that scares you a bit more when you don't have the complementary tools could just be a little bit of a, of, a, of a drawback heading into the draft, and he could get himself back up there. Makeup is off the charts. Uh, I've listened to even conversations that he's had. He, he sounds just like such a smart player and really has himself together. 
I could see a team really liking him higher than that. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like eight could be a spot. I, and, and I think the Marlins are leaning college. Uh, that, that seems to be the report out of Miami, which makes sense. I mean, they, they whiff on offensive prospects every time, get the safest guy possible. That's why we have Jace Young going to them at six. Even with a guy like Tamar, I, I don't know if the Marlins take that chance at six. And if Elijah Green falls to seven, again, the Marlins aren't taking Elijah Green. The Cubs probably have to take him. So it, it, it's one of those things where it's less on Tamar and more just on the circumstances, because I think any other circumstance, the Marlins probably jump at one of Elijah Green or Tamar, and then Tamar probably goes seven or Elijah Green goes seven. So uh, that could be one of the surprise slips. And right in the middle of all these guys, because we're going to talk about a couple of prospects who I just absolutely love. And I know you do too at the very top, but is Kevin Parada out of Georgia tech. You have him going number five to the nationals. He feels like, I mean, we're going to talk about a guy who has, I'm not going to name yet. So, you know, it's kind of tough, but you're probably going to call him the safest is Kevin Parada, the second safest player in this draft. I feel like no matter what the dude's going to hit and play a good defensive catcher, no matter what he's the bat is, is, probably the second safest in the, in the right there with, with Jace Young, I would say, you know, I think those two guys are neck and neck. I mean, we're talking about a dude that walked 30 times, struck out 32 times, hit 361, 453, 709 in the ACC with 26 pumps. That's as safe of a bat as you are going to find. I would say it's the guy we're going to talk about is, is number one safest bat I've seen. It's insane. And then you could put Jace Young and Parada kind of neck and neck. And I'd say Parada has more upside than Young offensively. And the fact that he's a catcher even more so. Yeah. I mean, people were asking me in the stream too. Oh, but they have Kiebert Ruiz, you know, whatever. I'm like, this is a Henry Davis-esque player. Um, if you're, you're taking the best player available, and I think at five, Kevin Parada is the best player available. You're not worried about Kiebert Ruiz at the big league level, especially because the bat is so safe, like, like you said. The Nationals need really good prospects. And just because he also plays catcher doesn't mean that you don't need him. You're going to be thanking yourself when you have both Kevin Prada. It's a good problem to have. Ask the Blue Jays. So Cam Collier is a player that I just keep hearing the most about because he's probably the most talked about prospect in our personal just baseball group chat. All of you guys are obsessed with this 17-year-old kid, 6'1", 220 committed to Louisville out of Chipola junior college third baseman who in the world is cam Collier and you have him going four? I felt like the top 10 was already scheduled. And yet this guy is number four. Who is cam Collier? Cam Collier is a guy that's so good. He skipped the senior year of high school and went and played junior college in the depths of Florida where it's, it's, Guys pumping cheese all the time. And I mean, like, that's how talented this kid is. And then after a year in junior college, decides, "Eh, you know what? I'm going to go to the Cape at 17 years old. One of the youngest players to ever play in the Cape and and really held his own. You know, I think produced a 230, 240 batting average, good ABs against really good competition. This is a 17 17. 17 doing this. Um, and, and Chipola is is a very low key pipeline uh, for a lot of very, very good players. Uh, Florida Juco route is is not a bad one. Russell Martin, Jose Bautista, Chipola Jr., Patrick Corbin, another one uh, that came out of him. Tyler Flowers, another player that came out of there. Andrew Tolls as well. There's a lot of big leaguers that have come out of there. But really, it was just a, a situation for for Collier. He was leaving high school a year early. 
didn't want to do three years of school uh, and just decided, hey, let me go to JUCO one year and, and go to the draft. He's played it very uniquely, and he's one of the few guys that is talented enough to play it this uniquely. I'm hearing that there's no way he drops past the Pirates at four. So uh, that's what the expectation is. Phenomenal. And this next one, I'm I'm pissed at you and Ryan. Why in the hell is Brooks Lee not going number one? Dude, Brooks Lee is Alex Bregman if he was a switch hitter. That's the type of she. player that he is and, and didn't bang on trash cans. Think of Alex Bregman with trash cans. That's kind of mean to Alex Bregman because he has been hitting very well lately. And Alex Bregman, of course, is a great player. Don't come after us, Astros fans. It's a joke. Yeah. But what it really means is how good the bat is and the projection of a doubles machine who could lead the league in doubles as a switch hitter. You know, I saw him a while back at Cal Poly and I watched him set the doubles record and every single ball this guy hit is through the gaps. The swing is so short. He's got a bit heavy feet. At least that, that's when I saw him. But I know that he's improved on that as well. And a lot of people think he can stick at shortstop. Is the only reason he's not going number one is we're about to talk about him. But is it because that other people have risen above him? Or is it that there is some concern that he's a third baseman? I think it's a 100% draft strategy. It's just, you know, how do you want to approach this? Um, you know, ultimately, I think the Orioles are in a position now where they can swing for the fences. And, you know, I think that's where you look at a, at a Drew Jones or a Jackson Holiday, and those guys could be MVP candidates if it pans out. Brooks Lee, what makes him so amazing is all the things you said. I would probably take him if you said you got to pick one guy to have the highest war out of this whole group, or I kill you, um, <laughs> which is very heavy. Lee. I would take Brooks Lee and, and just because it's the safest, you know, several of these guys won't make it. Many of these guys won't make it to the big leagues. Many of these guys might not be great in the big leagues. Like Brooks Lee is the safest. He's going to give me my best chance because this guy does everything. Well, he's a switch hitter. Like you said, tons of doubles. Uh, I think has 20 home runs in the tank, 92% zone contact and above average exit. He was like, this is the safest thing you can ever find. They they don't really, you know, I love Lee, but I think they, they want to swing for the fences a little bit. This is one of the best systems in baseball already. And I think that's really all it is, but they could take Lee, which we've seen them do in the past, under slot a little bit, and then and then go elsewhere. We had Lee going number one in our previous mock. It just sounds like there's more and more rumblings about holiday at number one. And so and Drew Drew Jones is going number, or at least in this draft, going number two. We aren't exactly sure. You know, he's got the commitment to Vanderbilt. We aren't totally sold on that yet. We don't know, but at least at the time being, it looks like he will go number two to the Arizona Diamondbacks. But that was kind of what's been slated in the last mock draft. We know about Drew Jones, son of Andrew Jones, crazy talented outfield prospect, reminds a lot of people of his dad because he's a great fielder, but also the hit tool is crazy. I mean, just go look up Drew Jones high school stats and you'll understand what we're saying. I think the dude hit like <laughs> yeah. 500 with 20 home runs and 40 steals. I mean, the numbers were insane. He's going to be a great prospect. But number one, and that's this is the big conversation here because Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's son, went from potential first rounder to definitely first rounder to probably the middle of the first round to maybe in the top 10. And now he's going number one. What happened? Dude, I asked that's the first question I asked everybody I called. <laughs> you know, what, what, what's the deal? Um, he just continues to mature physically. He, he 
has staying power at shortstop. They think he's actually going to be an above average defender there. Uh, the hit tool is there. The power continues to grow. And I mean, remember what Matt Holiday looks like. You see, if he looks anything like Matt Holiday, he's more athletic. Uh, then, then I think Holiday was, especially at the back end, but Holiday was really athletic. Remember in the beginning of his career, like there's a lot of similarities to his father, which you would take his father number one overall in the, in the draft in two seconds, but a left-handed bat at shortstop. I mean, they, there is so much to like here. I think it's just the way that he continues to get better and better tools across the board. And he seems to be safe relative to most high school shortstops. It seems like Jackson Holiday might be the guy it also depends on Drew Jones and and it sounds crazy, but there's some some whispers that he like you mentioned, there's some whispers that you know he may just go to Vandy, which we we saw Jack Jack Leiter could have got four million dollars probably and 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 gone top 10 uh before he went to Vandy, but another son of a big leaguer who you know doesn't need the life-changing money necessarily, maybe right out of the gate. Uh why not go to college and experience that? And and you know, it's not about really boosting your draft stock, but um some guys like want to do it. I think it's crazy, but you never know. That being said, even with Drew Jones not going to college, there's still a chance Jackson Holiday is that number one guy. And that's pretty crazy, but it just seems to be left-handed hitting shortstop with tools across the board and the bloodlines. There, there's a lot to like there. That's why this was the arm latent show today. He just went over basically every single prospect that you have to keep an eye on in the futures game, as well as the mock draft. Go check all of this out on JustBaseball.com, all of the different write-ups. Tomorrow, Aram, Jack, and I will get together. We're going to give you a full rundown of the All-Star Game, the Home Run Derby for the weekend because it's going to be a great weekend of baseball. Super, super exciting. Again, go check all of this out on JustBaseball.com as well as use our code JustBaseball on the other side. MLB stuff because we're still doing MLB stuff. If you want to play along for some player props, some daily fantasy, use code JustBaseball when you download prize picks. That link is in our episode description as well as if you want to join our Just Baseball group chat. Arm's going to be talking a lot of draft stuff in there as well as he just dropped his top 10 prospects in the Rockies organization answering questions in the chalkboard group chat as well as of course we're talking about the picks and just general baseball stuff so if you want to become a part of what we're trying to make the best baseball group chat on the planet click the link in our episode description join our baseball group chat we'd love to have you and it's absolutely free anything else before we go what do you got to tease what are we, what's going on well 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 first of all thank you for amazing questions that was that was awesome um that was a lot of fun that was so much second fun. You are going to the home run derby, my friend. That is going to be fun. We're going to talk about it more tomorrow, but I just wanted to like remind everybody, not only are we talking about the derby because we're excited to watch it, we're talking about the derby because Peter gets to try to catch balls out there. And I'm hoping we get a couple more lefties in this. So we got balance. So both both sides of the field are, are getting peppered. Um, but I'm excited to talk home run derby. And then I'm even more excited to talk to you after the Derby, assuming that you don't take a line drive in the forehead or something, but I think it's going to be raining out there. Um, are you going glove or no glove? That's actually the last thing on it. So that is such an interesting question because I was almost going to ask you guys offline, like, would it be funnier for content if I'm out here barehanded, like trying to do it? And it would be funny if I just got clocked or at the end of the day, you know, maybe show off some of my high school abilities because, you know, there's only a couple of reasons why I'm not in this mock draft at the end of the day. Right. I mean, I could have made it, you know, if it It, weren't for that bum elbow, of course, it was the bum elbow. And, you know, I I think it was just a little bit of timing for you. It it was, it was a loaded year. A lot of guys at your position in the draft and it's, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wasn't, the right, wasn't the right year. 
<laughs> Wait, there were some makeup you, questions too. You, there were some makeup, there was some questions. makeup questions. You don't, you don't think that uh, teams didn't need a first baseman who couldn't run, who had one home run, and then also went on the mound and was a submariner. You don't think that that was like a that was like a, a draft contact, <laughs> a contact. Zach Nito, Zach Nito is going to be drafted within the first round. You know, he's a pitcher and a hitter. You know, we're 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 different kinds of players, but at the end of the day, you know, check the stats. Check the stats. <laughs> You're like submarining that. from first base. You can only submarine. So you're just throwing it around the diamond underhanded. All I will say is there is a reason we're talking through this mic and not in this mock draft. And with that, thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>